The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and join for as little as $5 per month to help support our show or become a Tier 2 member to receive access to a wealth of information, including our 2023 returning production database and its 133 team pages packed with stats and designed to indicate which players have come and gone following the 2022 season. Thank you to our listeners who have become Patreon supporters by signing up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Welcome back, everyone. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. We are talking about offensive returning production today. And we saw a nice clip of some uh, perhaps returning production of Arizona State running their practice and uh, seeing the gigantic, what was the name of the kid? Uh, Robbie Harrison, uh, you know, going downfield to catch a pass. You know, they do these drills sometimes at the end of practice where the uh, defensive players will try to cover or the offensive players will try to cover the defensive players on an offensive play. Uh, Xavier talked about how he used to do that, uh, sent it to us this morning, and we saw him. I mean, he burned whoever was trying to guard him and then it hit him right Squared. in his hands. Squared. And it's the classic defensive thing. Son, if you could catch, you would be a tight end. You yep. know, maybe not at 330. 330 probably, pounds. That's, probably uh... still be. Oh, I don't know, Washington. But he probably <laughs> he might, still he might be, be in the goal line <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe give him some Mike Brabel or J.J. Watt snaps over there for sure. But, uh, yeah, that was fun. But, uh, Nick, how did you enjoy some of the uh, – spring notes and, 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 uh, games and all that good stuff this week. Well, still, still feel a little behind trying to catch up, trying to, you know, go through message boards and newspaper, uh, you know, articles and, and things like that. And, and, you know, there's, there's usually at least one good note. I try to find like one actual piece of information in, in each, uh, a thing I read and, and it, you know, certainly doesn't always work out. Sometimes you get a little bit of a drought where uh, it's like, man, this, you know, it's too vague or, or, you know, didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. Um, and then they start to run together a little bit too. But uh, you know, that, that I think oddly enough uh, is maybe why we uh, see some things like we saw at Arizona state practice, which apparently it didn't, work out Kenny Dillingham said after after practice that it was actually their worst of the spring but you know you hit a point where things are a little bit monotonous it's kind of the same thing over and over we'll see it even you know to a greater extent in, in fall camp but try to mix things up a little bit try to make it fun try to uh you know get get a little excitement into it so uh, it's nice when a spring game comes around we had one this past week and there'll be uh more you know they'll be going uh much more quickly starting here what michigan plays next saturday that's the first big one first big uh you know power program and and then uh in the month of april it'll be pretty steady so um i'm sure we'll be learning more but but uh right now at 
you know, like it is, I, I'm sure, for some of the players getting into that second, third week, it's a little bit of a grind trying to go through and, and find some uh, important information or at least, you know, some some uh, actionable information. Uh, actionable being the uh, the key word there. Yeah. A lot of information flying around right now. I mean, we got a lot of information in sports in general right now. It's baseball opening days creeping up. Uh, you know, the draft is getting closer and all of the spring notes. Xavier, how are you handling all of this plus basketball? I mean, uh, March Madness tournament, like there's a lot going on right now, man. Yeah, ridiculous amount. And obviously, you know, Scott, you know, opening day is two days away, March 30th. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a ton right now. But I think the, the way that I compartmentalize it is I try to go big school to small school. Um, and, and I try to really go – and honestly, I try to focus on schools that I have really no idea going into their spring practice uh, what I'm looking for. And I think that that really helps uh, because obviously we know about all the storyline with the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Clemsons. Uh, and so you kind of have an idea at the very least what you are going to be looking for when you go into watching a Clemson uh, spring game or you're going to be reading the notes after their spring practices. But for teams like Arizona State, like um, Nick brought up, it's extremely important to look at those because I have had no clue what's going on at a lot of those universities, especially the ones with coaching changes um, and trying to focus on those. Uh, and then as far as what Katie Dillingham did today, I love it, dude. Like you, these are some of the worst practices known to man. Like no player wants to do these practices for a couple of reasons. One, for most of these kids, spring break either just happened or is about to happen. So <laughs> nobody really wants to be there on either side. Two, you're going from, in most cases, about 40 to 50 degree weather for the last month to 80 plus in a lot of these hotter areas, right? So you've been in, you know, hoodies and sweats for the last month or two, and now you're in shorts and you're now you're practicing. And, t- and, all, and three, you're typically in your worst shape at this point, just full disclosure, like, look, after the season's over, every guy would tell you they spend about probably three to four weeks just hanging out, chilling, eating whatever they want to do, sitting around. Um, and then lastly, you've got you got finals. Well, okay, sorry, Nick. I, it's 32 degrees where you're at, but you know, it's always cold. <laughs> you know, Nick, 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 Nick carries the cold with him. This is just a, this is just a matter of fact. Um, and then lastly, it's typically finals for a lot of these guys. Uh, so you're doing this, and right after this, you're going to study calculus or something, or rather, because you've got an exam coming in the next week or two uh, that is going to be just, you know, is 30% of your grade for some un- ungodly reason. Uh, so you've got to, you know, hunker down in the classroom and on the field um, at probably the, you know, some of the peak positions, because obviously you're trying to get a starting job or trying to put yourself in a position to get one come fall camp. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on right now. Anything else catch your eye uh, between last show and this show, Nick, uh, in terms of uh, college football stuff? Well, uh, a couple of notes as I was going through and and uh, there was a countdown bar. I believe it was on the San Diego State uh, official team website that, that I w- was uh, reading up on a little bit earlier today. But it's, it's 150 days till week zero. And San Diego State plays Ohio in, in week zero. Uh, so that number, you know, it's a big number, but I mean, it's less than half the year. So uh, we're, we're uh, moving in the right direction as, as always. But then one, I guess, more housekeeping note. Usually um, we're a little late in the, uh, you know, grand scheme of things as far as uh, CFF rankings for uh, you know, we usually publish those a little later in the summer. I like to get our full 
you know, statistical projections uh, done and, and all of that before we uh, first publish those. But uh, since I'm, you know, very much in the, the CFF uh, early stages and, and, you know, best balls and, and things like that, plus I've been working on some CFF specific stuff, adding it to our uh, FBF, uh, excuse me, FBS uh, returning production database. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and publish an early set of rankings April 4th, and that's going to include um, some stats and, and things that we haven't uh, had before in our CFF rankings. And, and uh, so, you know, hopefully uh, folks can can look forward to that, get a little use out of that um, earlier in the calendar than, than we normally do. And of course, we'll update those regularly throughout the, the off season. So, uh, something to look forward to here uh, early next week. Yeah, lots going on here. Let's go through some of the notes uh, that we have here from the spring practices and scrimmages. There's a real buzz at San Diego State, and the Aztecs made headlines over the weekend. That's right. We're talking about San Diego State spring game held last Thursday night. Nick Nick wrote this out just like this. Really excited. It's a, it's a basketball about. joke. Did you get it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, San Diego State, right. Yeah, we're talking about their football I've been team. told that they're in the Final Four. Yeah, yeah, they are in the Final Four. Look, uh, the Final Four doesn't matter anymore, Nick. I don't know if you knew Texas got eliminated last week, so it doesn't matter anymore. So uh, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done paying attention. That it was, uh, you know, uh, closest shot of one of my teams to win a championship, so probably packing it in for the rest of the year. But, um, look, San Diego State's defense dominated their uh, spring practice they had five picks, 11 tackles for loss, six sacks, 12 pass breakups, and a recovered fumble. Uh, not great for Jalen Maiden, the returning quarterback, who threw for 219 yards, but accounted for three of those interceptions, 12 for 22. And Ryan Lindley, who's the new uh, OC, um, promoted from the QB coach. Not a great spot to be in right there, but also, like, you know, uh, you just turn down the difficulty uh, one spot. You're playing on all Madden. You should be playing on veteran or something here, uh, San Diego State's offense. So it'll get better. But, yeah, they definitely look behind in this first practice, Nick. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that because, you know, San Diego State, we're going to spend a little time this show talking about, you know, offensive systems and, and how there are some, uh, you know, coaching changes that, that we would expect to, uh, you know, result in, in some improvements uh, for those teams just, you know, by changing the way that you do things a little bit. San Diego State's not making a, a wholesale change, but had, had uh, you know, shown some signs that they were opening it up a little bit, weren't going to be quite as just sort of ground and pound as they had been in the past. But uh, what I think surprised me a little bit uh, more, you know, San Diego State defensively is one of those systems that is, you know, traditionally just very, very good play really solid defense year in and year out. And it doesn't always uh, matter how experienced, you know, that particular unit uh, is or not. Uh, nevertheless, San Diego State has to replace some of their uh, best players. I mean, two of their top three tacklers from last year are gone. Um, you know, they're, they're really rebuilding almost the entire front seven. Uh, their top four guys in tackles for loss, their top four guys in sacks, all, you know, are, are, are gone. And for a unit that is having to replace, uh, you know, 
some really key pieces. They rank 62nd in defensive returning production, uh, according to our current numbers. Plus, you've got, you know, a returning quarterback, first full, you know, spring at quarterback in a little while. Jalen Maiden, we remember, actually was part of that San Diego State defense this time last year. Um, but they've got some, you know, interesting pieces uh, on offense as well. So I think it was probably a little bit disappointing uh, that the Aztecs struggled so much offensively. I mean, it's, you know, maybe a good sign that we're not going to see, uh, or at least you, you expect it's certainly a, a zero-sum game in, in spring games. The offense looks bad, the defense looks good, and vice versa. Um, but... You know, I, I would expect that that San Diego State fans and, and maybe even the coaching staff uh, would have much you know preferred to see a more competitive offense, uh, and it has to to worry some folks a little bit that a, a defense that had to replace so many you know productive and, and veteran players uh, still just continued to dominate you know the the side of the ball that's been. Uh, just just not nearly as good at San Diego State in recent years. Xavier, when you see uh, the defensive side dominate the offensive side so heavily right. in a spring game, what what is the feeling? Does a whole team start to get worried about the offense, or is it just, hey, the defense was on today, uh, obviously the offense has got a lot of work? Being on both sides of this, it kind of goes like this. The defense says, we kicked your butt. And the offense goes, we just need to get back to the drawing board. The only people who are worried about this genuinely is, is the offense. The, the defense thinks that they just played the, 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 the best game of the year and they have no qualms about what the offense did and didn't do. Um, the, only, the only thing I will say is if this carries into fall, then people start to get worried, obviously. Uh, but with it being spring and offenses are typically more behind than the defenses, like, look, defenses, if you bring back anywhere near, if you bring back five of your 11 starters you can go out there with a basic defense and shut down your offense in spring practice it's actually more concerning if it's the other way around because defenses are typically more ahead at this point uh not only can they run more basic systems and be just as successful uh but you know typically with defense you have a little bit more you have a little bit more of experience because defenses tend to swap out positions more frequently right people get more reps on the defensive line right typically swap out linebackers in certain different sets so people are, are typically ahead on the defensive end when you come into spring practice so you're not all that worried the only the only thing you're extremely worried about is if you have a, an elder quarterback who's just bad then you're like okay, dude, you haven't learned anything in the last two to three years here. <laughs> We're in trouble. Like, that's when you're concerned. But for a defensive side, you're you're supposed, you're expected to be better than the offensive spring. Most spring practices, if you really watch closely, points-wise, they suck. They just do. Like, they're they're not high-flying acts. Um, and when they are... Well, the offense is timing, right? A lot of timing. Yeah. And you need... That, that needs to build. Defense, you just have to be... You just have to throw off the, the timing. So it seems like the easiest practice to do that in or scrimmage would be the first one, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. typically going into spring practice, most teams would have run two to three, two to three soft scrimmages at this point. Um, whether it be, and you kind of know what you're going to get in that spring practice from an offense and a defensive side, you would have been either one, you would have run against it already or run against a shell version of it. Um, and so you kind of know when you get to the game, like this is what they've been running all spring. We can do 
what we need to do to shut this down come spring practice uh, or come to spring game. So that's the other piece too that a lot of that gets lost on a lot of people is the defense knows exactly what the offense wants to run by the time the spring the spring game gets there because you've probably seen it in two maybe three soft scrimmages before you've gotten to that point. Uh, yeah. So more news here. Moving on, Florida State has sky-high expectations for 2023, and part of the buzz centers on an experienced group of defenders set to return. Earlier today, FSU ranked number two in defensive uh, returning production. However, the Seminoles uh, learned defensive end Derek McClendon entered the transfer portal. He led the FSU D-line with 553 snaps in 2022, three and a half sacks, five tackles for loss. The Noles fell to fifth on defensive returning production. So a huge loss for them. Also on offense, they lost. They'll be without Micah Pittman for four to six months following a hip injury. He caught 32 passes for 330 yards and three touchdowns uh, in his first season and then transferred from Oregon to FSU. So uh, two pretty big losses for the Seminoles uh, in one fell swoop here. Yeah, and and Florida State's one of those teams that is going to – uh, be in the conversation uh, for, you know, are they a playoff contender? Um, they still rank in the top 10 overall in returning production, still number one in the ACC. Um, top five, you know, defensively, as, as you mentioned. Um, but McClendon, even though he wasn't, you know, the star, it, it could could have been worse, uh, you know, if, if something happened to Jared Verse, for instance. Uh, or you know their linebacker group that that was so productive last year. Um, nevertheless, you know Florida State had had really had uh, until this week nothing but positive news. It seemed like I mean guys they got you know like first coming back who could have uh, opted for the NFL draft. You know Jordan Travis entering his uh, final season. Uh, one of the the you know, most productive, most experienced quarterbacks in the country. Um, there had been very little as far as uh, defections uh, early or, or, you know, transfers, things like that. Um, so a little bit of disappointing news, probably not something that's going to, um, you know, completely knock them off track as, as far as those uh, lofty expectations and goals. But um, Florida State, a team that entered the offseason with a, a ton of momentum and I think understandably so, um, you know, suffering a, a little bit of a setback, you know, one on each side uh, of the, the, you know, one on each side of the ball uh, this spring. Yeah. Uh, so uh, FSU, I mean, oh, now losing those two big guys, not fantastic, Xavier. Not at all, especially for a team that I think we all can agree has extremely high expectations going into this year. Um, you're, you're really looking for them to take that step into competing for the ACC um, and to have these kind of setbacks for two extremely important positions as well. I think that's also something that you have to look at. Like Micah Pittman, in my opinion, had an, a bit, had an opportunity this spring to make a significant jump with Jordan Travis um, at, at the quarterback position, right? And then Derek McClendon, you know, once again, three and a half sacks and five TFLs, you look for a kid like that to now maybe be seven sacks and 10 TFLs going into next year, right? Like you you just are expecting jumps from a lot of these position groups, especially with uh, McClendon being opposite of Jared Verse, right? Like Verse is coming back. You were really getting excited about this defensive line and what it could look like coming into this year. Losing him is obviously a big blow to that. And Micah Pittman was one of those guys in the, in the uh, transfer portal that when he ended up going to 
uh, going to Florida State, it was like, cool. They've got something that they didn't necessarily have, which was speed. Uh, and I and I love the idea of, of him being able to take the top off the defense uh, for Travis, who I think was missing that at times last year. I feel like Florida State had to, had to put maybe too many methodical drives together. Um, but him being there and giving them another element on top of what they already had was going to be a big thing. So sucks for both of those guys. Hopefully – Hopefully they get back to playing at some part in the year for Pittman. It looks like it's going to be something where he's definitely uh, maybe an October, November kind of guy. Uh, but even yeah. that could be extremely huge for them as their schedule Hip injury is tough. You yeah, just never know. You just don't really you know? know what he'll end up looking like now to and, and the, the really unfortunate part about it is Florida state's like meat of their schedule is in their first four games, right? Like, they play LSU and Clemson before the month of September ends. And so they really needed all hands on deck to start the year. Um, you know, they could easily at that juncture be two and two, right? And all title hopes could be, all at least national title hopes could be done at that point. Uh, so you were really hoping that they had all, all hands on deck and you were going to look for an FSU team to take a significant jump this year. Yeah, tough, tough losses for FSU, but uh, they're a school that can definitely bounce back. A couple other news and notes here in North Texas. Lossy talented, productive playmaker uh, to the transfer portal last week as all-conference USA tight end slash halfback, H-back, Barquise Gums entered the transfer portal. Gums might follow his former head coach, Seth Luttrell, to Oklahoma. Uh, Nick has has put in here, so look out for that. Georgia Tech wide receiver Leo Blackman suffered another torn ACL. Obviously, he's going to be out for a while. Georgia running back Kendall Milton will miss the rest of spring with a hamstring injury. He's been injured a bunch, and he's competing with Dewan Edwards and Bre uh, Branson Robinson in a deep and talented Bulldogs backfield, as it always is. Offensive lineman Ben Coleman, who transferred to Arizona State from Cal, was expected to earn a starting spot. He suffered a leg injury that will sideline him until at least midseason at the earliest, according to head coach Kenny Dillingham. SMU received some good news Tuesday when it learned two potential impact performers would be cleared for spring practice. Uh, Alabama running back transfer Kamar Wheaton. Uh, and wide receiver Teddy No, a former Mississippi State transfer, were back on the practice field um, after uh, their academic hurdles that they had to uh, climb there. And then Iowa hopes for an improved offense but in 2023, but that will no longer include Brody Brecht, the projected starting wide receiver, announced he will focus on his baseball career moving forward. So a bunch of other little tidbits there, Nick. What do you think of uh, the rest of the news here? Yeah, I, I had seen some whispers about Gums uh, following Latrell to Oklahoma. Nothing confirmed there. Nothing, you know, uh, that I've seen officially reported. But I think it makes a bit of sense. Um, you know, North Texas is is one of those teams that uh, was part of our, uh, you know, first year head coaching draft a couple of weeks ago, probably a team that we'll mention a little bit later is having a new offensive play caller uh, and. Gums's role, you know, wasn't wasn't going to be uh, quite the same. Eric Morris, who was most recently in Washington State, they used the tight end a little bit more uh, last year than in previous years before he got there, but still wasn't, um, you know, nearly as as involved as uh, it had been in North Texas or you know potentially would be in uh, Oklahoma. Uh, you know, Braden Willis had a really strong year last year. Uh, in the first year of, of Jeff Levy calling the offense uh, in Norman. Uh, really disappointing for a guy like Leo Blackburn. I know a uh, you know, friend of, of uh, the, the 
pod, so to speak, uh, Felix Sharp of Campus to Canton has been tweeting a little bit about uh, Leo Blackburn in, in recent weeks. Um, just a guy who's really athletic, big, you know, has has some skills for sure, um, and looked like he might have had a, a, an opportunity to be a big part um, of an offense and a new, you know, one of, one of many, as we'll get to, uh, new play callers, new offenses, and, and, you know, kind of a fresh start. So it's really disappointing um, that he, you know, has, has now suffered, I believe it's at least his second uh, ACL. I know he, he missed a good chunk of last year with an injury as well. So uh, hopefully he'll recover quickly and, and get back at it. Um, Georgia, you know, that running back room is really, really deep. Um, Edwards and Robinson, and, and, you know, they have some really talented freshmen as well who are going to be uh, in the mix. So it sounds like it's precautionary for Milton. Um, you know, maybe if it were the season, it wouldn't be bad enough to sideline him for an extended period. But since it's the spring and, um, you know, since he does have a bit of an injury history, uh, sounded like maybe it was just best to give him some rest and, and um you know, get to the fall as healthy as, as he possibly could. Um, I would project him right now, would have projected him, at least before this news, uh, to, to lead the team in carries next year um, if everybody uh, were to be healthy. Um, but I do think that this, you know, puts that in, in a little more uh, doubt uh, because, you know, unfortunately you kind of have to uh, – say that maybe you can't really expect him to be fully healthy. So uh, we'll see. Hamstrings, you guys were, were talking uh, earlier about hips, right? I mean, that that's a tricky one. Hamstrings uh, seem to linger, you know, much longer than than anybody uh, would would like. And, and so hopefully he can Hamstrings and obliques, yeah. like in hips, those uh, in back injuries. I mean, there's a lot of injuries that can't can linger, but those those ones are like you know tough to shake yeah you you can put it it might be next week they could be fine next week or it could be six months from now when they're okay you just have no idea it's severity and, and all of that right right um coleman at, at asu yet another asu reference uh this week uh both good and bad i guess for whatever reason they're they're i know that it might make a couple of our uh arizona fan listeners uh unhappy that that you know so much arizona state talk today but um yeah unfortunate for coleman he's one of those you know expected to start a lot of transfers uh one thing that i wanted to point out you know a little later in the show were some of the offensive lines that uh are seeing a ton of turnover and, and include uh a lot of added production through the transfer portal arizona state was number two is number two on the list as far as the most, you know, biggest biggest percentage of snaps added through the transfer portal, uh, FBS snaps, and Coleman was a part of that. And you know, hopefully he'll be back mid-season. Sounds like you know might be late season, um, but he was going to be a big part of that offensive line. I, I believe I I heard he played left tackle at Cal, if memory serves, but it sounded like he was repping uh, with the starting, you know, with with the ones uh, at left guard for. ASU in the early uh, portions of, of spring practice. So um, hate to hear that, certainly, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll 
see what they can do. I'm, I'm sure. Um, it sounded like because of his injury, you know, they might not be done in the transfer portal might need to go in and, and see what uh, might be available, see who might be available in May when, when the window opens again uh, for, you know, all players. Um, good news on SMU. It, it sounded like Wheaton and Knox were, uh, the way I read it and details were sort of somewhat vague, um, didn't seem super optimistic that those guys might be eligible to play next year. So, uh, glad that that was cleared up. Sounds like it's cleared up, you know, even earlier than, than perhaps it could have been. Um, so that's good news. I know, you know, Wheaton entered last season with some really high expectations as a, a former five-star Knox is a former, uh, SEC, I believe four-star recruit, uh, when he signed at Mississippi state. So, um, good to see those guys are, are back and in the mix and, and, you know, should be a big part of that SMU offense. And then, uh, lastly, I, you know, I know Scott, you pay, uh, pretty close attention to, you know, prospects in baseball. Uh, I'm not sure if Brady Brecht has come up in any conversations or not. It sounds like he's, uh, got a future. No, at least enough to, to say he's going to step away from, from football. So uh, Iowa, is, as being on one of our uh, you know, pretty high on our list of the most disappointing offenses to no one's surprise last year, um, you know, just a, another, uh, I guess, sour note in, in uh, what's, what's been, uh, unfortunately, a, a, a really, really tricky unit to get turned around. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Iowa is swimming in talent. You know, when we said uh, FSU can replace players, and it's still it's tough to replace the good players, you know, obviously. Uh, but, you know, uh, FSU trips over four-star prospects. You know, uh, Iowa on offense, for whatever reason, you know, everyone on defense is amazing. Uh, on offense, it's been, like you said, uh, uh, it's been a while since they have been uh, solid. Xavier, your thoughts on uh, any of these notes here? Yeah, just a quick aside for Kendall. I feel so bad for the kid. Like, this is a guy who came coming into Georgia was supposed to be RB1 maybe year one. I, he had that kind of, like, momentum coming into Georgia, and injuries have just derailed any momentum he's had. Um, he's just not the same runner that he was when, we, when he even came into college, um, and, I, and I hope that he's able to get healthy. Uh, but hamstrings are extremely fidgety, and the and the only thing that heals them is rest. Uh, so obviously he's going to miss spring, uh, you know, and, and hopefully he can get back to you know, working into the you know into the unit come fall. I still think that he is the leader in the clubhouse even with the injury. Love Robinson, uh, both of them, um, but I, I think that Kendall Milne has the cachet one and two. He's probably the hardest runner of the three and probably gives you the most physical presence being almost six foot two. Um, so he's going to be your guy even in yeah, even with uh, Branson and, and uh, Dejan, that's going to be kind of your bell cow kind of guy. He's just got that physical stature uh, that people love about him. Uh, so I think he's still going to be able to retain somewhat of a momentum in that running back room. Obviously, it doesn't help that he's going to miss time. Uh, and it's going to obviously open the door for one of the freshmen to kind of give, you know, a, a run for his money in that regard. So first off, that sucks. Uh, SMU, great news. Uh, first off, Kamar Wheaton is such an underrated player. Um, just did, didn't break through at Alabama, which typically happens for a lot of kids, right? Just you could be a former five-star. They sign six in the same position. group. doesn't matter. Uh, but Kamar Struggled Wheaton, to stay healthy too, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Right. And yeah. you just you just look at a guy who I feel like is poised for an extremely good year, uh, which might I'm not gonna say he's gonna transfer again, but may see him transfer back into maybe a, a higher P one uh, P five school. Uh, but definitely, I think it, it would slot me in there immediately for what he could do uh, in that SMU system, especially with the way that they spread people out. Uh, same thing goes for Teddy Knox, uh, another guy who I think is due in for a big year. Once again, just didn't couldn't get in at Mississippi State, and that's to be understood. Look, Mississippi State just lost, or you know, just lost Ra Ra Thomas, you know, and, and some of the talent that they've had there over the last couple of years. I'm not surprised that he couldn't necessarily break in right away. Um, but yeah, uh, so those two absolutely. Georgia Tech's situation at receiver is always a weird one for me because, one, they're not a team that typically throws the ball around. But more importantly, they don't really recruit receiver all that well um, and haven't, at least in, in my time, you know, covering college football. Um, and so having a guy go down to another ACL injury, especially one that I know they were expecting to be one of their guys coming into this spring, is, is going to be a miss. And that sucks for him, obviously. To tear your ACL twice – is just ridiculous. Um, and, and, you know, obviously prayers out to him uh, to get healthy. Um, maybe he is, is in a George Pickens type situation where he can come back and play in the last four games of the year, right, um, and just be a contributing member of the team. And maybe it gives him some momentum going forward. But Georgia Tech definitely was looking forward to him being a, a cog in that receiving room um, as they don't just typically have a lot of guys in there to begin with. Uh, so that's going to be a big miss for them. All right, let's go over, and Nick, we are going to talk about offensive returning production and uh, some of these notes here. Um, the, the one that, you know, you, you make the point here that it's way harder uh, to do a single group and, and show the, the improvement, but also going into this year, this year may be tricky, 61 play callers are brand new play callers for their team this season, which is, I don't know how that compares to every year. I know there's a lot of turnover and a lot of coaching movement in college football. That's half the pool, a little under half the pool seems like so much. So mm. um, yeah, kind of break it down what we see in returning production and how to compare it uh, to this season. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly how it stacks up um, historically, but I, I do believe that it's, uh, ticked up a little bit um, since last year. And, and also um, it seems like it's been, you know, dragged out a little bit farther. Um, we have seen offensive coordinator changes. Um, and I think it's even worse on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll talk about next week. But, um, you know, after signing day, we've, we've had coordinator changes at, at schools. And, and that's just... Uh, difficult uh, to to get prepared, get ready for spring practice. Um, you know, there still are, are position uh, coaches that uh, are leaving. I mean, I was going through, uh, you know, one I believe it was Eastern Michigan just today lost a uh, defensive backs coach to the NFL. So um, obviously, things are still moving around, and and who knows, we could get an unexpected. Uh, coordinator change at, at some point, but it seems like, you know, at this point as we record in, in very late March, uh, it, it should have settled down enough to where we kind of know what direction most offenses are going. Um, there might not be, you know, this time last year, 
we saw at least one example of just a, a complete uh, change in offensive philosophy where Georgia Southern, who had been, you know, an option team for so long, um, goes to the just uh, not just air raid, but <laughs> really one of the uh, pass happiest uh, versions going, you know, into that Western Kentucky coaching tree and and so big big change in offensive philosophy maybe the the closest to that that we've seen is is a little bit in in the opposite direction mississippi state which of course uh you know sadly tragically uh lost uh head coach mike leach last year and the change that they made at at head coach uh, looks like it's gonna uh move things on the offensive side of the ball to a little bit more of a you know quote unquote traditional uh, style of offense or we're going to see a little bit more, um, you know, a little run heavier, we shall say, uh, make the, the running attack a little bit more of a uh, priority. But other than that, maybe with the exception of Wisconsin, which, you know, is is making that, you know, transition from run heavy to, Air raid. Although uh, Phil Longo does uh, have a history of, of some really strong rushing attacks um, in you know his recent uh, history, North Carolina a couple of years ago, uh, two or three years ago had two thousand yard rushers. So uh, not sure exactly that that we're going to see just a full uh, you know complete shift uh, to a really pass heavy offense there. But Wisconsin, a little bit Colorado and you know, getting Sean Lewis and, and uh, they had been really high tempo at Kent state when he was the head coach there. Um, Coastal Carolina is kind of that, you know, spread option had been, but they're moving to, uh, you know, a little bit more of just a traditional college offense, I guess, um, by, by hiring Tim Beck, who was the offensive coordinator at NC state. So they're not a whole lot of just wholesale changes, um, but you know, we'll see at Louisville who hired Jeff Brom, probably a little bit more, uh, you know, pass heavy this year, Miami things didn't really work out last year, uh, for them made a change, hired offensive coordinator from Houston. Uh, they're talking, you know, air raid and in, in the, the early spring, we'll see how much things change there. Uh, change at Stanford, who had you know done things uh, in somewhat of a, a unique way for a while. Uh, I saw something the other day about Army is installing a new offense, uh, which they of course have been you know triple option for so long under uh, Jeff Munkin. That sounds like they're going to be more of a shotgun base. Not sure, haven't been able to get a whole lot of detail on on uh, how far they're shifting away, but. You know, we'll we'll see some changes. We'll see some changes in systems. But as I was digging through the numbers and, and looking at twenty two, you know, twenty twenty two returning production, uh, the most, you know, uh, experienced teams, uh, the teams that exceeded expectations, just like we were talking about last week for the teams as a whole, and we saw a pretty you know, pretty big difference between uh, which teams exceeded expectations, which were most important, or excuse me, most disappointing on who ranked highest and who ranked lowest on returning production. It's not quite that easy. In our top 15 uh, exceeded expectations group last year, uh, Arizona, Kansas, Duke, Florida State, Ole Miss, 
uh, are among the, the teams that, you know, we, we saw them exceed their preseason expected team performance. Um, there's not a, a, a big gap. There's not, you know, a, a clear and obvious uh, group that is, oh, those were the, you know, a handful of the top 10 teams in, in returning production. Duke was 107th. Ole Miss was 106th. Uh, Baylor is on this list. They were 123rd. Um, you do see, you know, some teams that that took a big step forward, like Arizona and Kansas, who were top 25. Uh, USF actually, you know, took a, a bit of a step in the right direction, even though they couldn't quite win enough games. Uh, but they were number two in offensive returning production coming last year. Um, but you know, as a whole, that group of top 15 teams um, ranked 64th on average in returning production coming into the year, averaged about 64%. If we flip it on the other side, the most disappointing teams, uh, there were, you know, Nevada was on this list. They were dead last in offensive returning production. Western Michigan was on this list. They were uh, next to last, 130th. But, you know, Old Dominion was a team that really disappointed. They were third. Um the, the most disappointing teams, uh, you know, compared to, to where we had them projected preseason offensively were Western Michigan, UMass, Miami of Ohio, Marshall, Nevada. Um, and then, you know, going down the list a little more, teams like NC State, Central Michigan, Virginia. And certainly there were injuries, there were, you know, other things uh, that factored in. But if you go down, you know, this list, there's, there's teams that rank – 15th, 14th, like like UMass, uh, 35th, NC State, 50th, Miami, 41st, Iowa. Um, teams that are among the, the 15 most disappointing offenses last year, it's a pretty wide range of where they came in and as far as returning production uh, last season. These 15 teams averaged, uh, their average rank in preseason returning production this time last year was 71st. They returned 59.15% uh, of their offensive returning production last year. Um, and that's just, there's not a very big gap there. So, you know, last week we talked about how, you know, we could see uh, reasons to expect uh, the, the most experienced or, or the teams that return the most overall would improve, you know, their win total, their uh, projected team performance numbers here, at least on offense, it doesn't always line up. There's not a, a, a really, really strong correlation. Yes. The, the, you know, 15 most disappointing teams returned a smaller percentage in returning production ranked lower on average in, in returning production, but you know, really it's, it's, it's not by a wide margin at all. And then if we look at, you know, the teams that ranked in the top 15 in returning production last year, the most experienced teams, they, they really didn't show any positive movement. Uh, they actually lost, you know, two points in, in their team performance compared to their projections. It's almost exactly the same as the bottom 15 teams in returning production. They lost about 2.8 uh, points in, in returning, or excuse me, in, in team performance. So there's really just not, at least last year, um, much to indicate that a team that is really, really experienced returns everybody on offense doesn't necessarily mean they're going to improve. They're going to be better on offense uh, the next season. And one of the more interesting things I saw 
because we talked about you know how Bill Connolly has has upped uh, his percentage in uh, how much offensive line snaps uh, factor into his returning production um, calculations. I looked at the top 15 in O-line snaps returning from last year and the bottom 15 in uh, O-line snaps from last year. And it was almost exactly the same. Both groups fell short in their team performance projections. And uh, actually the teams that had the most experienced offensive lines, their uh, ranking dropped as far as team performance compared to, to where we projected it by almost nine slots. The teams with the least experienced offensive lines, their projections dropped uh, fewer than two spots on average. So um, teams like Stanford, Northern Illinois were among you know the most disappointing teams in the country last year, brought back every offensive line snap from, from their previous say it, uh, season. I mean, he's been waiting to say it. I've been yeah. watching his face. <laughs> yeah, old garbage just stinks worse. There Come on, go, right? And, and so uh, there, you know, we we saw some examples of that on the the roster as a whole last week. Yeah, um, and there are certainly some teams that that uh, did improve when they're you know most experienced, but it's just it it's it's uh, not as easy to bank on. You know, it's it's not uh, quite as apparent. And I think a big part of that is, you know, uh, offensive scheme and changing offensive coaches, I think, is is, you know, what matters the most. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I am really intrigued in Wisconsin, you know, trying to find practice reports. What does this offense look like? Because they are making one of the bigger switches. You know, Louisville is going from. Uh, what had been a pretty, you know, uh, used the quarterback run a lot, of course, with Malik Cunningham, uh, and had had a pretty consistent running game uh, under Scott Satterfield. But they're going now to Jeff Brom, who, you know, for for a few years at Purdue, has produced some really, really prolific, uh, you know, specifically receiver production, but of course, you know, pe- just passing offenses as a whole there. So I think, I think, changing your style of offensive play is a little bit more uh, indicative. You know, you, you can tell a little bit more, I think, oh, we're, we're moving to this type of offense. Um, that's going to play out, you know, in a certain way. I feel like that's a little bit more of an indicator um, than just whether or not, you know, nine starters are back or, or you know, we have 80% of our offensive returning production coming back from last year, even on the offensive line, which, you know, some really, really smart people uh, think matters even more, you know, now than it has in, in uh, recent years, at least on the, you know, extremes last year, uh, we don't, we don't really show that. So um, I will say, as we get to, you know, the 2023 numbers on that, um, there are some cases where maybe on the extreme low end uh, like last year, that the bottom three offensive lines in snaps returning uh, were Virginia, Boston College, and Nevada. And those three teams had among the very worst offensive lines in the country last year. I think if you're you're on, you know that that really really far uh, extreme where you just have to rebuild the com- you know the unit almost completely, that's that's not a, a good sign at all. But 
Um, I think if you have, you know, everybody else returned 25% of their snaps or more last year. So that's what, you know, one and a half starters, you could say. So as long as you're not replacing all five guys, you've got a shot to be just as good. Uh, and in some cases, um, you know, could be better. Tulsa ranked 123rd in O-line snaps returning last year. Uh, only had 31.25% of their snaps returning. And they improved, you know, their offensive team performance by 48 spots in the, the rankings compared to where we had them projected. So um, it's uh, it's just not as clear on offense, at least as, as you know, we're looking, uh, trying to dig in the numbers from last year. Xavier, when, when you see these numbers and you hear uh, Nick say it's not as clear, right? And uh, offensive linemen does offensive line returning production doesn't mean as much uh-huh. uh, as it used to in the past. Uh, other positions as well. Maybe just maybe this is where coaching matters the most is uh, in these schemes. And because not everyone is going to have the transition we saw for uh, what was it, Georgia Southern last year, uh, right. you know, where they go from triple option to air raid and everything works fine. You know, uh, most of the times teams struggle through that for years. Yeah. Uh, so um, to see them make that transition so quickly, quickly was unbelievable, but doesn't always work like that, but offenses can be improved and worsened very quickly. Yeah. yeah I, I think what's, you know, actually impressive when you look at both most disappointing and exceeded expectation, that even when you look at the exceeded expectation list, a lot of these teams hit their stride in the middle of the year. Um, you look at a team like Florida state, you look at a team like LSU, uh, both of those teams, even uh, Penn State looked a lot better offensively in the in the Rose Bowl, obviously, than they did earlier in the year. I think a lot of these teams, even when you talk about offense, they were able to get to their ceiling midway through the year. And even so, so when you look at, you know, offensive product, returning production, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to start fast. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a high-flying offense from day one. But for a lot of these teams – it's going to be imperative that they're able to weather the storm. Hell, Washington's another one, right? We talked about it all year. Can Michael Penix be a part of the reason why that offense takes the next step? And about three games in, it was a no, right? You know, yeah. then they, they, they go on a roll where they went, I think, seven of their last nine or, no, eight of their last nine games or something like that, rather, uh, where, I, where I think, you know, they finally hit their stride. And I think you could say that for all the teams or, or most of the teams on this list. I think that's extremely important to remember is offense is a rhythm-based system. If your offense is clicking, it can click for three games in a row and then hit a wall that you never saw coming. Or it can be, you know, awful for three weeks and then all of a sudden it looks, you know, unstoppable. And there's also other pieces of the offense that people have to remember, right? It's not just moving the ball up and down the field. It's red zone, right? You can have one of the best offenses in the country and have one of the worst red zone efficiency numbers in the country as well. Uh, you can move the ball in, you know, like, like, you know, like Nick has probably said many times, you can move it inside the 20s. But once you get into the red zone, you can't do anything. And I think that, all, that also is a part of it. You know, um, I think a huge aspect of offense going forward, uh, especially with the transfer portal, is going to be chemistry. You can move as much talented talent around as you want to. It has no bearing on how good that offense will be because it's going to lean on the chemistry that a transfer kid. Perfect example, Georgia's offense coming into this year. They're going to have a brand new quarterback. They're probably going to have two or three brand new receivers with, you know, Lovett from Missouri and Robert Thomas from Mississippi State. 
even with all the, the offensive talent that they bring back on the offensive line, Brock Bowers, we just got done talking about their running back room. If their receivers and quarterbacks don't get aligned, that offense is going to sputter out of the gates. Um, and it's going to take a second for it to finally find its footing, if it finds its footing at all. Because at the end of the day, it's a rhythm-based, it's chemistry-based, and you can have the most talented offense in the world. It has no bearing on whether or not they're going to look good weeks one through four, and then all of a sudden they turn it on weeks five through 12. Uh, and that's just something that I think was was um, was interesting about uh, the, the teams that exceeded expectations, that their offense were rather cool the first couple of weeks of the year, and then they hit a stride and then kind of just ran with it. Uh, the other piece, too, is I think what we, what we see from the most disappointing is when you lose a – and they don't have to be generational quarterbacks, but when you lose a guy who's been there for a very, very long time. Um, Louisiana, uh, Iowa State, uh, just to name the, some of the teams that are on this list. When you lose a guy that's been there for a very long, uh, very long time, it, it it definitely creates a bigger gap. Even if that guy wasn't necessarily the greatest of quarterbacks, if he was good at his time in, in school, it leaves a bigger gap that I think people want to be honest about with themselves. Um, you know, I understand that you know people think there's greener pastures out there, but if you can have a four-year starter. He was a four-year starter for a reason, and a lot of times he cover they they cover up a lot of the holes of the offense. Uh, you're talking about Levi Lewis. Levi Lewis. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, couldn't remember. Yeah, they they, they, they cover up. The, yeah, they cover up a lot of the deficiencies of what an offensive line might look at. Right. When you're there for almost four to five years, your pre-snap reading is impeccable by the time you typically leave because you know the offense like the back of your hand. So you can hide some of the deficiencies of an offensive line, whether they're senior later or not. Um, you can hide some of the deficiencies of your receivers by making sure you throw them the exact ball you've been throwing them for the last three seasons, right? Like there's a lot of things that go into that. And so, yeah, you might not have the most elite quarterback, right? Brock Purdy at Iowa State wasn't considered elite in his time at Iowa State, but he was extremely important to how they ran their offense. And as soon as he left, you saw the the, the gaping hole that he left behind. Um, even though I would I would say that, you know, numbers-wise, people would go, well, you know, the numbers probably didn't, quote-unquote, dip from quarterback to quarterback. But what the responsibility of the offense do, does dip when you lose a, a guy who's a three- or four-year starter. That's a really, really good point. And also, you know, uh, I didn't – I should have realized it immediately when putting this list together but quarterback injuries are a big part of this too and i i kind of skipped around a little bit uh so i might not have uh, you know might not have been clear who all the most disappointing teams were uh so i'll read all 15 from from most disappointing compared to our preseason projected team performance uh when we're comparing the end of season what actually happened as far as their team performance rating so most disappointing was western michigan followed by uh, who lost a you know, multi-year starting quarterback, uh, followed by UMass, Miami of Ohio, quarterback injury, Marshall, quarterback injury, Nevada, you know, multi-year starter quarterback, uh, gone, NC State, injury, Central Michigan, injury, Virginia, coaching change, uh, Miami, injury, FIU, um, Iowa, Iowa State, as you mentioned, uh, then Kentucky, Old Dominion, and Louisiana, you know, multi-year starter. So uh, inexperience at the quarterback position, injury issues at the quarterback position, uh, and at least in one case, uh, you know, a coaching change that a lot of people um, saw as being potentially, you know, problematic to the offense, yeah. even with a really experienced quarterback in Brandon Armstrong uh, there in Virginia. So um, that that's a, a 
big, big piece of it and, and a really important piece of it, something to keep in mind as we look at the, the 2023 numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, when we're looking at the 2023 numbers, do we dare take a guess at who is going to be uh, better or worse, uh, depending on the numbers since they are so jumpy? Well, let, run through the teams and let us know who you think actually is going to improve or uh, you know, devolve a little bit here. I, I think we, I think we have to try. I think we can't like take can't a stab, but try, right? Yeah. Um, but it is uh, important, you know, important to think of of what we just uh, were talking about, especially on the the you know wrong end on the on the least experienced teams. Um, but even when we're talking about these teams on the very high end, uh, quarterback injuries, you're you're potentially one injury away. Uh, from just, you know, seeing your, your offensive production uh, just tank. So um, we'll see. You know, one thing that, that does, uh, will, I think, jump out to a lot of folks is the teams that are really high in offensive returning production this year are teams that took a big and in often cases really surprising step forward last year. Uh, so I'm going to be paying attention to, you know, uh, these these teams took a big jump, and they're bringing just back every, just about everybody back. Are these teams that are capable of taking another step forward, or um, is there maybe you know a limit? Uh, have they maybe already gotten pretty close to, if not already maxed out, what they can do offensively? So uh, the most you know, the, the top 15 teams in our returning production, and this is adjusted, including FBS transfers. Uh, number one is Kansas. They bring back 93.4% of their offensive production from last year. And, and they were a team that, you know, did lose. Uh, they're starting quarterback, really good quarterback for a good chunk of the year. Uh, UConn lost their starting quarterback in the first quarter, right, of the of the season. They were at 91.5%, so the only two teams over 90. Everybody else is uh, 80 or above. Um, we had Duke, South Alabama, Ohio, uh, both South Alabama and Ohio, you know, made surprising runs to their conference championship games. Uh, LSU overachieved, according to a lot of people's expectations last year. Toledo, conference champ. Then Rice, Washington, who was one of the most improved teams in the country, uh, San Jose State, UTSA, Akron, New Mexico State, Arizona, uh, who was our most improved offense, at least you know exceeded expectations uh, last year and brings back just about everybody uh, from last year's unit. And then kind of an interesting one, Clemson, who is a team that I think jumps out to me immediately as one that we can expect will be an improved offense. I mean, when got Garrett Riley from uh, TCU, probably you know should have mentioned that earlier. As far as uh, you know, teams that are that are making a little bit of a, a change in offensive philosophy, they had kind of done the same thing for a while at Clemson, and then even after Tony Elliott left, um, and before that, Jeff Scott, you know, left for for USF, and then Elliott for Virginia, tried to just sort of keep it going by promoting from within. Obviously, didn't work. Things moved in the wrong direction. They go out and get. You know, at least uh, as far as voters were concerned, you know, voted in uh, the, the uh, assistant coach of the year, right? Uh, last year, Garrett Riley. So uh, pair that with 
an offense that has right at 80% of its returning production, top 15 in the country, um, even when you're replacing a, a starting quarterback, uh, quote unquote, even though a lot of people think that'll be an improvement moving to Kate Klubnik instead of uh, DJ Uyunglele. Um, but Clemson is one that jumps off the page to me uh, that that is probably going to you know see an improvement might exceed our preseason projections uh, just because those you know last couple of years uh, dragged down uh, you know some of those numbers that that'll go into those projections at Clemson for us. Xavier, when you look at the teams that are supposed to improve, wh- which ones jump out to you as you're like, I know they're going to improve. And are there any that you're like, I don't know if we need this team on this list. It's funny that I actually kind of disagree with Nick when it comes to Clemson. And it's not because I did, I, I disagree that Cape Klubnik might, might open up the offense more. But sometimes when you're an offense of principles change, now the responsibilities of certain people change. And I think that that can ultimately lead to maybe a sluggish offense to start off. Uh, this has been a team in Clemson that's run the football, run the air out the ball for the last two seasons with DJ Uyunglele as their quarterback. Now it's going to probably go back to more like Trevor Lawrence, right? They're probably going to spread you out more. They're probably going to put more responsibility on their receiving core. And their receivers over the last couple of years just have not been at the races of, of the typical Clemson receivers that we saw the, you know, under the Trevor Lawrence era. Uh, and so I am, I am interested to see how their receivers act with new responsibility. And Clemson hater. <clears throat> I mean, you know, just honest. <clears throat> I mean, honest. That's look, look, that's look they're, rece- they're receiving core two years ago <laughs> after their spring game. Everybody thought that they had one of the best receiving cores in the country. They haven't shown up since then. Uh, I don't know how many Joseph and Gata quotes I saw after that spring game that this kid could be the next. Yeah, I was one of them. He looked right. incredible. Yeah. He was and, unbelievable and in that spring he's game. Been, yeah. yeah. So, like, I, I think that, you know, sometimes a position group being elevated and asked to do more Sometimes you see them rise to the challenge and other times you may see them, you know, sputter with more responsibility in that regard. Um, a team for me that off the rip I see being extremely good and I think maybe elevating offensively is Washington. Um, I think Michael Penix, like I said last year, it took him a while for them to find their footing, but I think they're going to carry that momentum that they had at the end of the year into next season. Uh, Penix by the end of the year was just, I mean, he looked unstoppable towards the back half of last year's season. And I think that's because he finally found rhythm with his receiving core. And it's different when you find a rhythm. It's another where you can throw the football blind and feel like your receivers are going to be there. And I think at some point, Michael Penix got to the back half of last year's season, and he had such a rapport with his receivers that if you put a blindfold on him for a drive, he was going to be able to try to – he was going to feel comfortable throwing it to a spot, and this guy was just going to be there. And that's a different level of comfortability. Uh, you, you see that with quarterbacks who know not only know that they're talented, but know the guys outside are extremely talented as well. And they're like, look, my guy's is better than yours, so I'm going to put it into double coverage, and he's going to win. Or I'm going to throw it – you know, I'm going to throw a ball that you know 90% of the country can't catch, but my guy can go get it because he's extremely talented, and so am I. Um, so I think Washington could become an even better offense uh, next year. Um, I think LSU is a weird one. They're a team that, for me, their offensive line still worries the hell out of me. I don't care what anybody says. As great as Jaden Daniel was, he was he was playing with his hair on fire because he just was running for his life a lot. And I, and I understand that Jaden Daniels maybe, you know, this year has a little bit more rapport, will have a better pocket presence, look to sit in there more and make, and make better throws. But he did let, lose Keishon Booty, um, you know, who obviously had to leave kind of, you know, out of nowhere and head to the draft. But, you know, so he's going to have to find a little bit more rapport with some of the other guys. I love Neighbors. I think that was his number one last year anyways. So I think he's going to have an excellent year, year too. But 
that offensive line concerns me. And I know they bring back 93% of their of their of their snaps. But look, what I saw on tape a lot of time from Jaden Daniels was him being Houdini back there. And that only works for so long, especially when you look at the fact that the other piece that concerns me about their about about what they weren't able to do last year um was just stretch the field consistently. They, they, they would hit spot plays here and there, and their run game, obviously, in the Alabama game was excellent, and they were able to run the football well. But I want to – I'm not saying I want to get back to ASU Jaden Daniels with Frank Darby and company, but I think that's when he's at his best. And can LSU bring that out of him for 12 games next year? I'm not so sure that they can, um, especially with the, with that offensive line, right? I, I liked it when Jaden Daniels was able to be back there, stand up, and throw 30-yard bombs because I think that's what he starts to look his best on top of the athleticism that he brings at the quarterback position. Can LSU do that with an offensive line? It's still a question mark for me. Well, and it's kind of interesting that at the end of the year, he got banged up, missed time uh, in part, you know, because of that offensive line. But uh, it allowed Garrett Nussmeyer to come in, yep. and, and yep. he did – stretched field and yeah. looked really impressive. And there are some folks, you know, as those two are, are competing yeah, a little bit this spring, some folks that think maybe LSU might be better off with Nussmeyer. So uh, kind of a, a, an interesting one there uh, for sure. Washington, I'm, I'm torn a little bit. Like they were so good last year and I mm-hmm. really like Penix. Uh, he's got one of the best, you know, receiver duos, maybe receiver yeah groups in the country i mean i mentioned i've been in uh you know quite a few cff drafts early in in you know the the off season and Penix, mcmillan and uh adunza are all gone by the end of the second round and i mean they're just you know <laughs> expectations are already sky high for that offense i kind of wonder is it is it repeatable i mean they were they were so good they stayed healthy uh Penix looked so good ah, man i don't know i mean a lot went right and it's it's really really difficult to uh for everything to go right two years in a row so on the one hand you know i love that washington offense those you know those guys i think have the ability to get even better um but i just you know part of me uh, almost fears you know what's going to go wrong and, and it's it's going to be really really difficult to uh match you know what they did last year similarly you know utsa is on this list um Mm -hmm. they bring back just about everybody um frank harris is what seventh eighth year uh he's he's i mean how long has frank harris been he (laughs) is xavier's age (laughs) he should not be still playing college football what is happening right now and what's interesting for them their offensive line was just decimated yeah. last year by injuries. And so you hope, you know, they were able to, to pick up some experience, some guys who weren't expected to play, uh, get a couple of guys uh, back and healthy who, who missed time. Were, you know, some guys are out of eligibility, but um, that's another one where they were really, really good moving to a new league this year kind of an interesting, you know, additional oh, layer yeah. uh, to it. But, you know, expect them to be one of the best, you know, could be one of the most complete offenses in the country. But um, they have already been so good that part of me is a little bit nervous. Like, are they actually going to be able to uh, match what, what they've done recently? Now when we look on the other side, Nick, 
where, you know, we're looking at the teams that we expect to regress. There's some rough ones here. I mean, yeah, Eastern Michigan, Utah State, Middle Tennessee, Bama, Central Michigan, Wake Forest, Tulsa, Texas State, UAB, Stanford, Fresno State, obviously losing a quarterback, Air Force, Virginia, TCU, losing a quarterback, Kent State, losing a quarterback, Charlotte, East Carolina, lots of teams that are losing QBs here, uh, obviously Bama too. Uh, lots and lots of, of teams are losing QBs, but uh, other positions too. I mean, uh, for God's sake, East Carolina is returning just a quarter of snaps as a whole offense. So uh, these are easier to pick on, I feel like. You would expect everybody to take a step back here. Is there anyone that surprised you when you saw the list? Um, you know, uh, or, or any, any team that you look here and you say, eh, yeah, they lost a lot, but you know, like Xavier said, uh, old garbage stinks more when it's left out. So maybe getting some replacements is going to make this team improve. Uh, well, so a, a little bit, a little bit of that, um, uh, maybe in a place like central Michigan, uh, because, you know, they're, they rank 121st in returning production. Uh, they uh, were a little bit disappointing last year, had some injuries. They lost starting quarterback. Uh, I wanted to, I'm going to mess up his first name, last name Richardson. Um, I want to say Trent. That isn't correct. Uh, Daniel Richardson, who has since transferred to FAU. Um, you know, he got injured, missed some time. Uh, they also were, you know, really expecting big things from Lou Nichols III, who got injured and, and missed a handful of games. Um, uh, so, you know, they were a little bit disappointing, but both of those guys are gone. Most of their, you know, productive receivers and tight ends are gone. Uh, but at the end of last year, you know, while Richardson was uh, sidelined, uh, we saw some some pretty interesting and, and really fun performances, first from Jace Bauer, uh, but second, and I think, you know, who, who is even more exciting uh, and, and really makes me think that, you know, they build the offense around him in, in 2023 uh, could be an improved unit, even though they're on the wrong end of the, the returning production spectrum. But uh, Bert Emanuel Jr., who just, you know, he completed only four of eight passes didn't didn't really offer much in the passing game but in four games ran for nearly 500 yards and then led the team with seven rushing touchdowns um i mean just just incredible rushing production played 93 snaps right at 67 uh rushing attempts for for 496 yards seven and a half yards per carry uh scored seven times that you know led the team so um It'll be really, really fun to see what he can do in a, a full season. So uh, on the one hand, you know, maybe maybe got a little bit of a glimpse of, of the future, and that might have been why Richardson uh, decided to move on. Um, there are some other names here where, you know, a team like Texas State, you could make a case, you know, why you might be optimistic going to G.J. Kinney. Uh, who you know was the head coach at Incarnate Word last year at the FCS level, uh, had such a fun, explosive offense there. They're bringing in some really interesting transfers um, uh, who are 
you know, not really very experienced at the FCS or excuse me, FBS level. Uh, they're rebuilding the offensive line with a lot of FCS transfers and also, uh, you know, heavy favorite to be the starting quarterback, Malik Hornsby, who is maybe, uh, you know, one of the quarterbacks uh, faster than Bert Emanuel Jr., one of the, one of the very few, um, but hasn't really played well in limited opportunities you know, when, when he was in Arkansas. Um, but the potential there is, you know, maybe sky high and their number as far as returning production where they rank 124th, maybe just a, a little bit misleading because we don't include FCS uh, stats and, and snaps and starts in our returning production calculation. So, you know, as far as experienced football players go because of that offensive line, you know, Texas State would be a little bit higher. They are bringing in, you know, several guys who have starting experience. Um, but then, you know, TCU uh, made it to the national championship game. A lot of, uh, you know, talented players still on the roster, including the quarterback who started the season opener in Chandler Morris. Um, obviously, Max Duggan went on to become – Heisman runner-up, right? So uh, not exactly going to be easy to replace, but at least early on in, in uh, you know, last season, uh, there were people on that staff that thought Morris was the guy who gave him the, the, the better chance to win. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, but the most, you know, troublesome, I think, is, and you hit on it, a team like East Carolina who replaced so much and guys who were there for so long. Uh, Holton Eilers was there five years. It was like a five-year starter, right? Um, you know, Keaton Mitchell, one of the fastest running backs in uh, college football, um, productive receiver in, in CJ Johnson. And, and just um, they are at least, you know, statistically speaking or, or numerically speaking, uh, the closest that we have this year to Nevada. And Nevada was dead last in returning production. They finished 127th uh, as far as seeing a, a big, uh, you know, drop off compared to uh, our team performance projections coming into last year. So um, I think because they are at the extreme extreme end, um, they're a team I'm worried about. I know that they have recruited well. They've got guys who are ready to step into those roles. Uh, you know, guys like Garcia quarterback and, and gun at running back. And, you know, they're, they're not, the coverage not completely bare, like maybe it was at Nevada. Um, but that's a so much production to replace. They're, they're ones that I think have to take a step back. TCU probably just because they overachieved so much last year, probably going to have to take a step back. Uh, Kent state lost so much. Um, it, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned it, the quarterbacks that are missing, guys like at Wake Forest, Sam Hartman. You know, they're, they're a team that has consistently, you know, they, they're one of those offensive systems where it's kind of like clockwork in a way. They've been able to be productive, be competitive, uh, regardless of, of who's in the lineup. But Sam Hartman was so good there for so long and, and now has moved on. Um, kind of wonder what that offense is, is going to look like. Xavier, when you look at this list of teams, is there one that stands out to you that where you think, I don't know if this team is getting worse, and then also on the other end, 
you look at some teams, you're like, yeah, ECU's gotta gotta get worse. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're first on the list, right? Uh, Nikki and Orion ahead. Holden Aylers has been there for. I think Holden Aylers is the same age as me, actually. I had to mention it. Holden Aylers has uh, been at ECU longer than uh, Frank yeah. Harris at UT, UTSA, right? I mean, come on. He's been there long enough to see them transfer or change conferences. If I'm not mistaken. Like, I, don't I don't know if you knew this, but Gardner Minshew is actually Holden Aylers' grandfather. So. Yeah, they've been uh, they were there for a long time. So. Uh, but yeah, like it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? These teams who have had these four or five in Holden's case six year starters, right? When they lose these guys, it leaves such a gap because the next quarterback that's coming in has just had had no responsibility at the quarterback position, um, not nearly as much as what you know you're, you're giving to a five year starter, right? Um, so that's going to be extremely. Wake Forest is the one that scares me too. Losing Sam Hartman, and really because of what Wake Forest's identity has been over the last couple of years, right? It hasn't been defense; it's been offense. And when your identity has been your offense, and that's the thing that's not only kept you afloat but made you a contender for your conference, losing obviously the biggest cog in that, along with losing guys like At Perry to the draft and things of that nature, so scare the hell out of you. Uh, because that offense has had to do. I mean, look, they beat Clemson last year in what was one of the best shootouts of the year. But it was a shootout because of that offense. And I think that's a huge thing. And, and when you look around what's happening with the ACC, they're going to be one of those teams that falls while you have some of the other teams stay more consistent, like a Duke. Um, you know, like we just talked about, FSU should take the next step. And it's going to be because a team like Wake Forest drops in the pecking order. Uh, Alabama's a weird one. You know, and I think that they're obviously going to be a, a big case study for returning production this year because I think this is probably the first year, maybe in my lifetime, but in a long well, since probably in my college football, you know, viewing time, where Alabama just seemingly doesn't have it all put together coming into the new year, uh, there's just like a huge hole at the quarterback position. We don't know who that's who that's going to be. We that we have you know huge holes at receiver because they weren't really great last year there, even with the transfers that they brought in. The offensive line was just okay, but Bryce Young made that offensive line look a lot better than what they actually were. Bryce was running, was was having to put together full-on highlight tapes of pocket mobility um, at times last year. So I think that uh, Alabama, for all the five stars that they bring in, this year more than any other one is going to have to be a year that, you know, they bring in, you know, Alabama retools. They don't rebuild. It's going to be something, it's going to be put to the biggest test because right now they are in the mo- the biggest rebuild type stage that they've been in in, in probably the last decade under statement. I know he would like to tell the media that every single year he doesn't have the best team in college football or you know you, you give these guys too much credit yada 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 blase blase blase. But no, genuinely this year <laughs> they they don't have you know uh anything that you can really hang your hat on. They don't have a Will Anderson coming back. They don't have a Bryce Young walking, you know, out of the out of the tunnel. Um and you really haven't heard a ton of buzz about some of the guys that are behind them. And that's their biggest concern, right? The probably the best person coming back from them is who? Um Dallas Turner? Probably. Yeah. Um the, the is yeah, I would assume so. You know, D'Amico and especially when you have a secondary that was pretty pretty rough last year you talk about kool-aid mckinstry uh D'Amico ellums those kind of guys did not cover themselves in glory in some of the bigger games last year and so even though they're returning you're kind of like i don't know about you buddy um so yeah i, I think alabama having the recruiting that they've had over the last couple of years will, will genuinely be put to the test this year uh, with the lack of returning production that they have on both sides of the ball interesting and then uh Let's talk about the offensive line re- returning production here because this is 
I feel like historically this has been tied to a lot of success, but like Nick said, not it's it's not as big as it used to be, but it's still a big chunk of it. So tell us about the positive and negative offensive lines returning and with the transfer portal, Nick, there seems adding snaps uh, from a bunch of places, adding experience to their line. So it may not be returning production, but productive players. So that has to be accounted for as well. So there's just a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there are some conflicting things. I did a study on uh, not a, not a super, uh, you know, rigorous study, but, but did take a look at like, you know, five, six years worth of data on offensive line experience and didn't really see much of a correlation uh, between, you know, how much teams improve. Um, But like I, like I mentioned, Bill Connolly was done uh, uh, much more as far as, you know, rigorous study in in certain aspects and uh, made the decision based on, you know, what he found this past uh, off season to, to up the, the weight that he gives uh, O-line snaps and his returning production calculations. We did not make that change. Um, and I've you know, heard from some other smart people that, that disagree, but it does make sense. You know, logically it makes sense. If your offensive line returns almost entirely intact, that's a good thing. If you lose almost your entire offensive line, that's a bad thing. Um, but it just, you know, it's not always that easy. And O-line's always... Uh, a really, really tricky unit to recruit, to develop. You know, guys are high school tight ends who end up becoming first uh, round NFL draft picks. You never really know. So um, it, it's it's never super easy. But these teams at the top of uh, the returning production rankings, at least as far as their percentage of O-line snaps returning, um, you know, you'd rather be on this side of it than the other side, most likely. Number one is San Jose State. Number two, Texas A&M. Number three, James Madison. Number four, Kansas State. Number five, Oklahoma State. Texas, Northern Illinois, Boston College, LSU, South Alabama, Iowa, Toledo, Ball State, West Virginia, and then number 15 is Georgia Tech. Now, I I do have to say that um, we're still working through rosters, and a lot of teams in the last – week or so have updated their 2023 rosters so it's it's possible that there will be a little bit of uh you know these numbers might change a little bit in you know the coming days and weeks uh once we finally get fully caught up but um we're we're not you know finding a whole lot of of major changes as we're going through these rosters so these this should be pretty close to correct if not uh 100 but um yeah, so those those are the teams that you know bring a lot back on the offensive line, and a team like you know Boston College, who was just decimated injury wise on the offensive line last year, that's a good thing. You know, Xavier mentioned uh, his his concerns about the LSU offensive line, but they were one that was also dealing with injuries a lot last year. So bringing everybody back, you know, I, I think I'd rather uh, be there than not, uh, uh, even though point taken certainly that um just because the same group of guys are back doesn't mean they're going to be any better automatically um and then you know uh, one that that sticks out to me a little bit maybe two that stick out to me a little bit uh teams that you know kansas state's looking to to um 
defend its Big 12 championship, lost a lot of its uh, production in other areas on offense. Deuce Vaughn, of course, being the, the big piece. Um, and then, you know, Malik Knowles, playmaker at wide receiver, lost some of their, their biggest playmakers, um, but can build around an offensive line and a, a quarterback that got some unexpected, um, you know, playing time uh, due to an injury. Oklahoma State is on the wrong end of returning production in, in a lot of areas, quarterback, running back, um, you know, receiver, even though they had some some injuries that impacted that group last year. But bringing back 97% of their offensive line snaps, that's a pretty good place to start if you're looking to rebuild uh, a unit. So um, not necessarily a guarantee that these teams will be uh, good or better on offense, but um, at least, you know, bringing back experience up front uh, in in a lot of cases, I think you uh, usually feel pretty good about seeing these numbers in, in the top 15. I mean, you'd rather uh, see returning production than uh, non-returning production, of course. It's always what I say when you're uh, watching any practices or spring games. Hey, look, it's better to look good than bad, right? That's so, uh, Xavier, when you look at uh, these schools that are returning production, uh, who are you in on? Who are you out on? Well, I... I... Okay, so for the teams that I'm in on, right, I think the, the the weird thing about a lot of these teams' O-line snaps returning is I'm, I won't say concerned about how well the, the, the running backs behind them made them look, but Texas is a team that concerns me a little bit, and then I kind of jumped the gun on this a, a little bit earlier, but <laughs> uh, um, when you have a generational talent like B. John Robinson behind an offensive line, he can make up for a lot of the problems your offensive line had. Um, I read a stat today that I think he had 135 uh, forced missed tackles last year. 135. Yeah, like that's it, like that's it's, a, it's, how do you lose Bijan and get better? You know, right. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, how much better did the Panthers get when they lost uh, Christian McCaffrey? Right. You know, they didn't. So. Right. And that's my biggest concern with offensive line. The same thing goes for like a Kansas State, right? Like I know Deuce Vaughn isn't a Bijan, but he was their Bijan. Like he did so much in the backfield and did so much of the, the extra work that you have to do, putting himself in the right position, finding cutback lanes that nobody else sees, uh, you know, beating that initial defender that does might break through. Though all those things go into account when you look at an offensive line that next year won't have any of that. Um, you know, uh, I, I think Iowa's offensive line, them coming back, is that really a good thing? Like, I, I don't know. You know, we, we have two very different years, right? We have the offensive line that obviously was there, you know, two years ago where, where Tyler Goodson and company, you know, at one point the number one team in the country. And you have last year's offensive line where the offense couldn't move the ball uh, to save its life. So it, it's, for me, what offensive line shows up next year, having almost, you know, 89, you know, having 89%, almost 90% of your offensive line returning next year, you know, that that's cool. But what version of your offensive line am I going to see week in and week out? Uh, Texas A&M is another one where I'm like, okay, cool. I saw Devon A-Chain go crazy last year at times. I also saw Jackson Hayes and Connor Wegman have to run for their lives um, or you not be able to keep them upright against teams like Miami, whose defense wasn't anywhere near some of what you'll see in the, in the SEC coming up this year, right? Like, for when, when you return this much on your offensive line, I look at what you did last year and I go, can you be better with the things that you have lost? And I'm not so sure that the teams that I've named already are going to have better offensive line production just because they're returning. Uh, I think they'll have more responsibility. And obviously that's a good thing to have, you know, simulating guys when you have, when you're asking them to have more responsibility, when you lose a Bijan, when you lose a Deuce Vaughn, that's cool. 
But as far as what they'll actually be able to do in the run game, when you have such electric players behind you, sometimes they just they do things that you're just like, whether we were blocking or not, he was going to make 30 yards there, and there's just nothing we could have done. You know, there's just, you know, another back just would not have done. And I think that gets lost when you think about some of the offensive lines. Um, it's happened at Georgia a ton. I mean, hell, I can only imagine how many offensive linemen have been drafted because of Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, and other guys. Uh, because when you look at on tape, yeah, Nick Chubb is running for 130 yards, but he's had to work for 75 of that, right? I think that goes, goes into account there. On the flip side, Nick, the teams that are losing an offensive lineman, um, is there anything that jumps out as a major concern to you? I think the bottom two, the teams that are under 20%, maybe even the bottom four, you know, 25% uh, or, or under every offensive line that returned uh, you know, fewer than, than 25% of its snaps last year, uh, just their, you know, compared to, to expectations, their offensive team performance just, just tanked. And that was Nevada, Boston College, and Virginia last year. Um, so I'm a little bit worried about Baylor and UAB. Um, you know, Baylor is a team that, that disappointed record wise fell off from what a lot of people expected. Um, there's reason I think to be optimistic that they can bounce back. However, you know, this is a major area of concern. Um, just, just numerically speaking, uh, having to replace, uh, what is that? 80, almost 88% of their uh, offensive line production as far as their snaps go uh, from last year. That's a little bit of a concern. UAB, it's a big reason, you know, another unknown. Uh, part of the reason why Trent Dilfer went as low as he did in our head coach draft is, you know, so many new faces. And UAB certainly has been a solid program. They've been productive. They've had good rushing attacks and, and you know, pretty good offensive line play consistently. Uh, over the years, but they're you know basically down uh, four plus full time starters from from last year's unit. So uh, that's a concern. Cincinnati being third on this list at twenty one point four percent, a lot of turnover there. Plus they're taking a step up in uh, you know their strength of schedule, moving to the Big Twelve. A little bit of a concern. UCF right there with them, uh, also under twenty five percent. Uh, so a little concerned about those four in particular. Um, and then the rest of, of uh, you know, this bottom 15 is Auburn, Texas State, who we mentioned. That's a little bit misleading. Auburn's actually a little bit misleading, as we'll talk about here in a second as well. Uh, but then USF, Northwestern, who they're losing probably a first-round pick, right? Uh, Oklahoma, Colorado State, Maryland, Hawaii, BYU, Oregon, and Stanford. So Stanford went from bringing everybody back in 2022 to now being, uh, you know, bottom 15 as, as far as their own line snaps coming into this year with a new coaching staff, which could be good, but also, you know, uh, a lot of, lot of bodies to replace. Xavier, when you look at the, the teams that uh, are losing production here, are you with Nick? It's like these bottom feeders. I mean, that's less than 20% of your snaps across the line is bad. Yeah, but you know what's weird about one of the teams on here is I, I still have them, you know, Oregon is one of those teams that returns so little on their offensive line, but still brings back a quarterback that should pretty much understand the system like the back of his hand by now. Uh, and so I, I'm really, once again, case study in a way is 
returning that little snaps going to be as important if you have a guy that can get you setting in the right position every single time in Bo Nix. We'll see. Uh, so I'm, I'm that, that's an interesting one to me. But you're right. Outside of that, you're really looking at a lot of guys who are a lot of teams who you're going to are probably going to struggle uh, going into next year. You could probably bet on it. Right. Maybe outside of your Oklahoma, your Oregon. Outside of that, maybe your UCFs. Do you expect probably the rest of these teams to struggle uh, in the win column going into next year? Because it's just that hard. It's just extremely hard to to you know recuperate when it comes to losing that much offensive line talent. Because the biggest issue comes when you're talking about communication, and we all see it on on Saturdays when guys are just running scot free, whether it be on on tackle in stunts or te stunts for short or things of that nature. Defenses are now trying to confuse offensive lines. They've gone away from just full-on rushing you up the middle. They're going to say, we're going to try to confuse you by throwing you different looks. And to have a young offensive line, you're going to struggle. They're going to they're not going to communicate nearly as well. You know, when you have a first-year guard and a, you know, a third-year tackle or a first-year guard and a first-year center, it's just going to, you're going to struggle. And you're, you're, some parts of your offense just aren't going to be able to be at their peak performance because you don't have an offensive line that knows exactly what they're doing at all times. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with more of what you said, Scott. All right, Nick, anything more on the returning production on the offensive side? What else do we have? So last thing, uh, and, and something that's kind of new to us this year, last year all of our, our numbers were adjusted uh, to include transfers, but we didn't actually break out the percentage of uh, you know added snaps or added production. So I uh, did want to mention, uh, you know, some of the teams that added a lot of uh, experienced offensive linemen. Um, number one is Auburn. I mean, they're going to have a, a new look offensive line and they brought in, you know, compared to last year's snap count, 65.6% uh, in transfers. So, you know, they're going to be really, really experienced, even though they're 127th and O-line snaps returning from last year, which that number is not, I should have said that ahead of time. That number is not adjusted uh, for snaps. I just wanted to know how many were lost from last year's team. And then now how many are added separately? Um, you know, Auburn's not in this bad a spot as, as it you know might have looked Arizona state, even though they're losing Ben Coleman for a big chunk of the year. Um, they're over 50% in added snaps on the offensive line, Miami, Boston college, because we did try to add back, uh, snaps lost to injury and Christian, uh, uh, gosh, lost his name here for a second. Uh, mahogany or, or something. Um, yeah, Christian Mahogany, who was a, a starter and, and all ACC caliber player, uh, who they lost to a season ending injury before the season last year, added his snaps as well as some, uh, incoming guys. And, and they're over 50% as well. A uh, team like Wisconsin, who always has pretty good offensive line play, um, but brought in transfers with the new coaching staff, with the offensive uh, coordinator hire. UCF, uh, you know, being in that sub 25%, maybe not so bad because they're bringing in 30% snaps. Florida State continues to build through the transfer portal. UCLA has done a great job of that. Michigan, a uh, big part of their offensive line last year um, were, were transfers. You know, the All-American center um, that they had from Virginia, national award winner, uh, transfer in his first year. So Michigan, um, you know, looking to, to repeat that and, and may not miss a beat. USC, area of concern for them offensively if there is one. 
is some turnover on the offensive line, but they were able to bring in, uh, you know, some experience through the transfer portal there, bringing in 31% of snaps, Indiana, Duke, SMU. Um, those teams rank in the top 15 as well uh, as far as snaps added via the transfer portal or in some cases, um, you know, lost to injury. Guys who didn't play last year, we took into account their snaps from the 2021 season and, and threw that into the mix. Interesting. All kinds of interesting stuff. Xavier, your thoughts on the transfer portal and its impact here, uh, spe- specifically on the offensive line. Is it is offensive line basically plug and play and, and easier than other positions, or is it more difficult to adjust? Is it the same? Where do you stand on the O-line? I think it's probably one of the harder positions to adjust to uh, because bringing in talent doesn't necessarily mean scheme fit right away. Sure. Um, you know, and then obviously you've got to learn the terminology of what you're doing. Uh, you've got to see what works for you guys. If I bring in a big, you know, I can bring in a, a guard, right? But if, is he going to be able to pull? Is he going to be able to do what I'm what I'm asking him to do on screens? I mean, is he going to be athletic enough to do what I'm asking him to do? So I think offensive line is probably one of the harder positions to come right in and, and mesh well because you're 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 a five man unit that has to mesh almost perfectly every single play for something to to, to go right. Um, you know, nine times out of ten, if, if somebody does their assignment wrong on the offensive line, they all look bad, and I think that's why it's it's a lot less individualistic than every other position in football. Um, and I think that's extremely hard to do, you know, when you bring in transfers, you know, uh, right away. We see it in the NFL all the time. How many times do NFL teams go out there and buy a new offensive line and they still struggle? Because yeah. at the end of the day, they've got to be able to work together and fit. And that's not always a guarantee, no matter how talented they are. Yeah, it's crazy, too, to think about that, especially guys that have had success in one system and now they're exactly. terrible in the next system. And you have all the the film. You yeah. know what you're getting for the most part, and it still doesn't work. Uh, that's, that's what makes a guy. Years. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes a guy like Osiris Torrance going from Louisiana to Florida last year. What was so what was so impressive about him was not only that did he looked so good, but he made that offensive line at Florida on the right side such a, I mean, a, a monster. Uh, and I know he, you know, he didn't leave a system to, to go to a different one, but the way he was able to plug and play and he made the guys around him look so good that Florida was able to run like they did last year was just extremely impressive. I just gave him to the giants in my fantasy pros mock draft. In the first or second? So, first. So, okay. Late. They, they're picking late. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, yeah, Dan, Danny dimes say, excuse me, Danny dollars and Saquon Barkley, <laughs> you know, uh, that's, uh, you know, good, good, good offense to be plowing the road for. Yeah, uh, for those guys. So, all right. Well, I believe that will wrap us up for today. We're going to be doing the same stuff on the defensive side next week, talking about the returning production, the impact of certain positions. And- I'll go ahead and say a lot more correlation on that. Yeah. Side. That's, more that's correlation. going to be, yeah, we're, we're going to San Diego state's going to be pretty work. good. <laughs> uh, yeah, we know that from their practice. So, right. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll see what the numbers say. But that'll wrap it up for us today. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFU Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. That is it for us. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.